Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. So um, if you were here last week, uh, you would have uh, remembered Phil kicked us off um, on a series called Honouring Relationships where we're looking at the life of King David. Um, and one of the reasons why we're looking at this a series on relationships is because, you know, we love what the Lord is doing in terms of the, Ho- the Holy Spirit at the moment. We, we are leaning in to the things of the Spirit. We're leaning in to the more of God. And uh, we, we want to see God do miracles, don't we? We want to see God change our nation. We want to see our... Um, uh, where we live transformed and where we work transformed. We want to see that. And so while we're pressing into that, and as we're pressing into that, we feel um, that God wants to remind us too, so at the same time, that how we do relationships is just as important. How we do relationships with each other you know, Scripture says, Jesus says, they'll know you, my, my disciples, by the way you love one another. And so we feel like we wanted to just remember some of those things about relationships that are really important that the Lord is, is wanting to say to us. Um, a few months ago, well, a while back when we were preparing this series, uh, God really put King David on our hearts, as a man who got relationships both right and horribly wrong. And I don't know if you've actually taken any time to read the full story of David, but I'd really encourage you to do that. Um, Because the thing that I love about David is that, you know, God called him a man after his own heart, so a man after God's own heart, and yet he did not live a perfect life. And I think that gives the rest of us hope. It gives the rest of us hope that we can be people who have a heart after God, even when our lives aren't perfect. That we can seek God and press into God and that God can see these things in us, even when we mess up. Um, when Phil spoke last week, he kind of started, talk- he, uh, started by talking about David's childhood and went through a few of the things in David's childhood and some of the things, I guess, that were um, grown in him uh, at that time when he was kind of, I guess, in obscurity, not really well known yet. And some of those things uh, were his humility, his heart for worship, and he's learning to live in the power. So learning to live with what God was doing in him. Um, and I, I thought that was really great and really helpful because as we kick now in to all the various relationships and different aspects of relationships in David's life, it's so good to remember that these were the things that God birthed in him. You know, so even, which um, we all hear through the weeks, when he royally messed up, like, fairly spectacularly, because there was this, this, this um, humility and heart for worship and heart for God that he had sown in early on, 
and continued to sow in, even in the midst of him making mistakes. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. So this morning, uh, we are going to be looking at David and his wives. Well, actually, we're going to look at David and one of his wives, because they're quite a few. <laughs> um, and so it was interesting. It was interesting thinking about this, because... Um, You know, many wives is not God's heart. Genesis was really clear that it was one man, one woman coming together. And uh, Jesus even, you know, reaffirms to the one. A couple of um, and so it's good for us just to remember a couple of things as we look at this. One of it um, is that the way, sort of understanding the culture um, of the day that the Israelites were living in, and I know this still happens at some, in some countries around the world, so I'm not saying it's completely gone, but it's good to remember that the culture that we're looking at saw women as possessions. So a woman had no right of her own she really couldn't survive if she didn't have a father, brother, husband, uncle, some male figure to look after her because she couldn't earn anything on her own. She um, wasn't seen kind of as a person, but more of a possession. A little tangent side note here. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus when he, in the New Testament, is so radical. Because when we look and when we read the New Testament, we read it through our Western lenses. And so sometimes we see the things that Jesus did, or how he treated women, and we actually think that it's maybe archaic or it's sort of not, um, it's not radical. But remember, Jesus is coming and talking into a time when women weren't seen as equals. And yet he, he kind of treats them as equals, doesn't he? He doesn't kind of, he does. We see it right in the beginning in the book of Matthew, even in the genealogy that Matthew puts down, there's five women. So most ancient genealogies never had women mentioned. It was very unusual. And there are five women mentioned in Jesus' gene genealogy. The other, the other thing which is fascinating, which I've um, heard a few times just recently, was that Jesus had women be the first to see him um, when he was raised from the dead. Now, in, in ancient times, if you wanted to bear witness to something in a court, a woman's testimony was inadmissible. It didn't, it didn't hold any weight at all. So he would only have a man's testimony. So the fact that Jesus chose women to be the first ones to see him and to be the first ones to bear witness to him was incredibly radical. We go on to see how he sat with women, how he talked to women, how he raised them up. We then look in the New Testament as we read on in the epistles and we see women who are leaders and women who have roles within the church. Jesus was radical he was radical about how he saw women. He saw them as equal to men. And um, 
We don't want to lose sight of that. The other cultural thing to remember in this time, so not only kind of how women were viewed, but also that in those days, um, the way kind of people extended their political power, the way kingdoms grew was through marriage. So kings would marry uh, different daughters of different kingdoms in order to extend their kingdom, in order to um, extend their reign and their rule. As I was thinking about those two things, it kind of made me wonder, you know, God uses the good and the bad in our cultures to have his kingdom come and to do what he wants to do. And um, I don't have an answer for this, but I was like, what are the things in our culture, both good and bad, that God is using to bring his kingdom? Um, I'll leave you to ponder that one. So, David. David um, has uh, eight wives recorded by name in... um, in uh, 2 Samuel and Chronicles. Five of them are only mentioned once, and, those are, and they're mentioned in relation to childbirth, so uh, the sons that they bore David. And then we have three others who are mentioned. It does, however, um, later on in Samuel, 2 Samuel 5, say that after David became king, he took many wives and concubines. So we don't really know exactly how many wives he had. Um, but we, we know of eight. Um, three, of the, three of the ones that are mentioned more than once um, are Bathsheba. I think most of us might be familiar with who Bathsheba is. I'm not going to go into Bathsheba's story very much because uh, JB's going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks' time um, as we look at the relationship between David and the prophet Nathan. Um, the other wife is Michael. So Michael was Saul's daughter. And um, that, was a, that was a fairly tragic story. Um, if you have some time to read it, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, but it didn't start off on a very good footing. And she, she basically let bitterness grow in her heart. Um, and, it, and it really wasn't um, a good story, a positive story. Um, and, it, you know, as I was reading her story, I was just reminded that it's so easy to let bitterness grow, isn't it? So easy to let bitterness become a part of how we function, sometimes not even realising it. But the wife that I would like to focus on this morning... Um, is Cain's second wife, and her name is Abigail. And actually, um, when we came to naming our beautiful daughter, she was, she was the woman who came to mind um, because we see some beautiful courage and traits in her um, that we pray over our girl quite regularly. So... The story of um, Abigail, let's, why don't we, uh, actually no, I'm going to tell you a little bit and then we'll read part of it. 
So um, it starts chapter 25, so 1 Samuel 25. Uh, Samuel the prophet has just died. Uh, and David is out with his man and his sheep, and they're kind of doing some sheep shearing. And uh, they come across another group of men doing shearing who they recognize, who they've spent time with before. And, you know, it's, it's so good to remember, isn't it, that, that um, when these guys were shearing and, and when they were shepherds, it was, it was quite isolating. It was quite isolated. It was out in the wilderness. Um, didn't have mobile phones, you know, Instagram, to chat with each other, to phone each other keep in contact. It was very isolating. Um, and it could also, you know, if you were on your own or you were a smaller group and other people came, it was very vulnerable. You know, would they steal your sheep? Would they steal your things? And so um, David, David's men and this other group of men um, who were a guy called Nabal's, Nabal's men, they had spent some time together and kind of looked after each other, looked out for each other. Um, didn't steal anything. David's men didn't steal anything from these guys. In fact, in Scripture it says, David's men put a wall around them in terms of protecting and helping to protect. Um, and so I imagine in those kind of environments, you kind of build relationship, don't you? You build uh, relationship of um, connection. And so David sees these guys, he arrives in this area, he sees these guys, um, and he says to his men, go to Nabal and say to him, this is who we are. We helped look after your men um, a while back, and we didn't take anything from them, and we protected them. Would you mind giving us some provision? Remember also, David's on the run from Saul, and that relationship isn't good at the moment, and so... He's asking the people around him, do you have some provision for us? Now, it's interesting because Scripture doesn't talk very nicely about Nabal. Basically, he is a bad-tempered, mean, wicked, nasty man, kind of some of the words that Scripture uses to describe him. And when David's men come to him to say, could you give us some supplies and some provisions, he goes, well, who's this David anyway? I don't know who this David is, son of Jesse. He's a bit off-handed, a bit obnoxious, very ungracious. And he says, in fact, you might have even just run away from your master. So he kind of insults the servants and David at the same time. He says, no, I'm not going to give you anything. Because I don't, you know, if I give you something, who knows what you're going to do with it. And lets David's men go. And so the men go back to David and they say to him, um, this is what Nabal said. And David is angry and offended, really angry. And so what he wants to do then is he wants to take revenge. Now, it's really interesting because the chapter before, we have the story of when David and his men, David are being chased and his men are being chased by Saul. And David goes and hides in a cave you might remember the story. And Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. And um, David has an opportunity to kill Saul, to take revenge on Saul for all David says that Saul's been doing for him, uh, doing to him. And in that moment, David says, No, I'm not going to raise a hand to the Lord's anointed one. I'm not going to do that. And there's this, this um, 
wonderful interaction that goes on. And so it's funny, isn't it? In that moment, he chose not to, but in this moment, he just leans into his desire for revenge. Like, he's pretty spectacular. He says at one point, um, you know, uh, basically, I'm going to kill every male in Nabal's household. Come on, boys, strap on your swords, grab your things. We're going to go and kill every male. He's just like seething. And I think what, what, what I really appreciated is, you know, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. And, it, and um, that's just being human. You know, sometimes we lean into what the Lord has for us and sometimes we just lean into our own desires. It doesn't make us any less after God's heart. But in those moments, we want to learn to also be open to hearing God's voice, um, which we're going to see, which is what David did. Anyway, so David's men have gone back to David, and David's like, great, let's go, strap it on, boys. We're going to go and just take out all the men in Nabal's house. At the same time, we've got Nabal's men who have gone to Nabal's wife, Abigail. Now, you kind of, as Scripture says that she is both intelligent and beautiful um, at the same time, which is lovely. So we can be beautiful and intelligent too. Um, but obviously her, obviously she's known as a woman who is wise and who has it together and who understands these kind of things because her servants run straight to her. And they say, oh, well, this has happened. David's men came. They were amazing. They looked after us so well. They didn't steal from us. They treated us well. They protected us. And now Nabal has gone and he's insulted David's men. And we are all in danger. Nabal and his whole household. And uh, they obviously knew that probably David would come and get some kind of, or want to get some kind of retribution. And Abigail says, Abigail acted quickly. I wonder if she was used to picking up Nabal's mess. Um, because he just sounded like a really not very nice man. And so she gathers an abundance of provision, gets a whole lot of things together, gets on her donkey and goes. Now remember, as we say all this, the culture of the day is that a woman is a possession. A woman doesn't have a right to come and approach a man who's not her husband, who is also the anointed king to be. And she doesn't think twice about it. This incredible woman of courage. So let's... Um, Let's read together. So 1 Samuel 25, verses 23 to 35. This is, uh, um, she comes and she approaches uh, uh, David and she sees David. So when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. 
He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I, do not see, I did not see them, and my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept, me from, has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men you follow. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of, of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from the pocket of the sling. Notice the reference. She, she knows her history. She knows who this man is. When the Lord has fulfilled, my Lord, every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience, conscience the, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. So uh, Abigail goes back. Uh, she uh, doesn't tell Nabal straight away because he's had a big massive party and a little bit too much to drink. So she tells him the following day what, she's, what has happened. And in that moment, he uh, turns uh, to stone. His heart stops beating, turns to stone. And then a few days later, he dies. Then, after that, David sends his men, or he sends word to Abigail when he hears that Nabal has died, proposing to her, asking her, Scripture says, to marry him. And then he sends his servants, and they uh, go and collect Abigail. I wanted to focus particularly this morning just on this little interaction between David and Abigail. Because one of the things that I've learned over the years and one of the things that God has put really strongly on my heart is that relationships, doing relationships well, takes courage. Real, gritty courage. Messy courage, hard courage, but it takes courage. Um, when I looked up the definition of courage, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. I think we've kind of made courage this kind of, um, 
I have no fear kind of thing. And therefore I will have courage and do something brave. Whereas actually courage is about stepping into the fear, stepping into the uncertainty. Um, and taking hold of what's on the other side. So we've got David and, and, and Abigail, and, you know, I love... Um, I love Abigail's... Not only uh, courageousness, because she not only kind of grabs possessions and kind of runs and throws herself at, her feet, at his feet and kind of is like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She actually speaks truth. Did you pick that up? She speaks truth to David. She says to David, basically, to summarize, you are the, are the king to be. God is on your side. He will do your avenging. Don't put innocent blood on your hands because this is not a righteous reason to be doing that. It's pretty pretty brave of her to stand before him and say these things. But she's calling out the best in David. She's calling out what the Lord sees in David. And there is this courage that she has to speak out and to speak out truth. And to speak out truth in a humble way. You know, sometimes I have previously heard the story told and how Abigail's come has been twisted, how Abigail comes to David. And sometimes I've heard it talked about in terms of, oh, she was just trying to manipulate him and control him. But actually, if you read the scriptures, she comes in this beautiful, humble heart, this heart of humility, but she speaks very clearly the truth. And... What that does in that moment is it brings out the best in David. Because David was courageous too in this interaction. David could have chosen to ignore Abigail. He could have chosen to go, yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. But my revenge is so intense. I'm actually going to keep going in the, in the direction that I... To David's courage in this situation was to stop, was to listen to the wisdom around him and to change his course. And so both these people, as they come together and as they interact together, bring courage to the table. It just looks slightly different. And so as we think about relationships and about how relationships take courage good to remember these two different things. Because the fact is, relationships are often painful. We're human, we hurt each other. Uh, you know, as I share this, probably in the last 10 years, 12 years, it's been the lesson that God has taught me more probably than any other lesson. For some of you who know my story, you know that I didn't grow up with my mum and our reason for coming to Australia was to reconcile that relationship, was to come back together again. And it took courage on both parts. 
Um, I have a friend who, about 12 years ago, at the beginning of our friendship, we really hurt each other. And um, it was, uh, both of us had stuff going on in our lives. And we were at church together. And uh, that was really hard. Can I say that's when I didn't do it very well and I didn't lean into courage, kind of ran the other way. And uh, we had this kind of awkward, really hard relationship for years where we had to try and we kind of did a fancy dance around each other with friendships and Sundays. And, and then God put it on both of our hearts about four or five, four years ago. And we came back together and we both shared, and we listened, and we cried. <laughs> I took the step of courage. If you were here a couple of years ago, you know that Phil and Kath and Rob and I, in our relationship, needed, needed some mediation because we were struggling in relating with each other. And we shared that with the community. It took courage. It takes courage to step into relationship. Two things I just want to say very quickly. One is that in terms of abusive relationships, I'm not talking about that. If you're in an abusive relationship, you need to talk to somebody, and that's quite different. So don't hear me um, say that. And I forgot my other thing. It's okay. I'll come back to it. But we want to have courage as we step into relationships. Sometimes we can think it's like a, um, to be honest, and honest in a relationship means that we have the license to be harsh or judgmental to people. I don't know if you've had somebody be harsh and judgmental to you and say, well, I'm just being honest. I don't, I don't see that in God's heart, and I don't see that in Abigail here. Abigail was brutally honest. But courage takes honesty, humility, and compassion all together. Anyone can just say it like it is, but it takes real courage to say it in a life-giving, humble way that strengthens and reconciles the relationship rather than causes division. Real courage in relationship brings freedom. I will also say that I do, I do understand that sometimes reconciliation in a relationship is not appropriate or not possible. So please, I, I recognize that as I say all this. But we want to be people of courage who bring courage in an honest, lying out, humble, and compassionate way. The world is crying out for that kind of courage. But it takes us being okay with being in the uncomfortable. It takes us being brave enough to step in to the hard. Where is the Lord asking you this morning to have courage? Courage can look like different things. It can look like choosing to stay in the room 
and stay in the conversation when things get tense and hard. It can look like choosing to leave the room before you say something that's going to hurt the other person. Courage can look like saying the hard things in a relationship. Sometimes courage looks like choosing to see the other person's side, realizing you're wrong and taking your, the responsibility for your part. That takes courage. I love that in David. I love that humility of heart in David to see how he, had done, he, was, he was doing something that wasn't right. And sometimes courage is forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness. Why don't we stand together? So we're just going to spend just a few minutes just allowing the Lord to minister to us, to speak to us. Just a couple of things as we head into this time of ministry. One was that the Lord gave me a picture of um, all of us this morning standing on the shoreline with a vast ocean ahead of us. And it was at sunrise. And um, I felt the Lord was inviting us to jump in, to have the courage to jump in to the water and all that he has for us. And uh, so he said to me, some of us are standing on that shoreline going, but they're sharks and they're jellyfish. I thought, yes, we are Australian. They're sharks, they're jellyfish, they're rips. They're like, I'm going to get like washing machined in the wave. I'm... And I felt the Lord wanted to say to you, yes, there is the potential of all of that, but... There is also the potential to find the perfect wave, to play in the surf, to see beautiful fish, to be swept away by a wave on a surfboard, to find joy, to find meaning. And so bravery isn't kind of making sure that you're not going to have any obstacles. It's choosing to lean in and jump in with the obstacles there because of the joy set before you, because of what's possible. The other sense was that for some people, as we come now, there might be some things that we have to lay down before we can take hold of this courage that God is asking. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you come and speak into our hearts? Show us those places. Show us those places where you're asking us to step in and lean into courage.
I want to invite you that if you know that there are relationships where you need, um, that God has already put on your heart, where you need to step into courage, where you need more courage to step into what God has for you, leaning into that, I'd love to just invite you to come forward so that we can pray with you, we can stand with you. We don't need the details of it, but it's just to stand with you as you choose to take that step of courage. I feel like for some people, even walking up to the front is the the beginning of the step of courage that they're needing. And so, if your heart is beating like it's about to jump out of your chest, and you know that's you, that's the, that's the first step of courage. I feel like also for some people, this is about your relationship with Jesus. The Lord has more for you and he wants you to step into courage. Step into and lean into what he has for you, but it's going to take courage. there's a few more people if you're part of a life group here um, I'd love you to invite you just to come and pray and stand with some of these guys but if the Lord's doing something in you don't, um, don't move on from it stick with it stay with it there's some of us who we just want more courage just more courage generally going to continue ministering, but we're going to wrap up there. Again, I'd like to encourage you that if the Lord has put something on your heart about where he wants you to have courage, where he wants you to step out, don't leave this morning without getting prayer for that. You don't have to come up to the front, but grab somebody because this life takes courage. So Lord, I pray that as we go into our weeks, 
that you give us the courage we need with everyone that we come across, Lord. Courage to be you to them. The courage to walk in humility and honesty and compassion. In Jesus' name.